Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast today. We are in the middle of Mark, as you well know, and I just love this time of year as we really get into some of the stories and miracles and even parables of Jesus. And so today we are looking at Mark 5, verses 21 through 43, and this is where we're really looking at women, and it's one of the one of the main times that we see women in Scripture. So let's, let's go ahead, Paul, ahead. Sure. Well, thanks, Christy. We have another Mark and Sandwich today. Um, uh, This time, however, the intent of the quote-unquote interruption may be to heighten the focus on the episode that serves as the frame. The frame is, is, um, you know, uh, Jairus, the the ruler, leader of the synagogue, comes to Jesus and, and asks him to heal his daughter. And then the interruption is the story of the woman with the hemorrhages. And um, it seems that perhaps there's some, there's some heightening of the narrative tension, but that might not be entirely the case because we may find, uh, well, we'll find that they may be more closely linked than, than people have recognized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last Mark and Sandwich we saw, really the emphasis, the frame was about Jesus' real family, and the emphasis was really on the fact that the scribes from Jerusalem wanted to accuse Jesus of something get worthy of blasphemy. And so, so it's a little bit reversed this time, but, uh, at this, but really it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting um, episode. Um, a lot of folks think that probably these two stories circulated independently uh, based on some of the constructions um, and that Mark has put them together. So we may see Mark's hand in, in, in creating this sandwich here. Sure. So let's just get us... Started into this kind of tell us what is going on in this particular episode. Sure. So the sandwich begins with an Archisuna Gogas, a, a, a leader of the synagogue, falling at Jesus' mm-hmm. feet and begging him repeatedly to come and lay hands on his daughter, who's at the point of death, so that she may be saved. I'm translating. Mm-hmm. Uh, prob- and it's not what the new RSV says. So that she may be saved and live, because the verb here is sozo. And we will, we will take a look at the translation of this verb a little bit later. Okay. But this may seem like a strange request from a leader yes. of the synagogue because we think of the Jewish leaders as being opposed to Jesus. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Adela Yarbrough Collins and Harold Atridge in their commentary on Mark uh, point out that he's one of the few persons with religious authority or political power who's portrayed positively yes. in Mark's gospel. Yes. And that it was very significant that Jairus, you know, basically in, in begging, you know, mm-hmm. uh, falling at Jesus' feet, begging him, he's sort of setting aside his own own social status right. to humble himself before Jesus. But in fact, if you look at the use of archisunegogagos in the New Testament, there's only one reference in Luke 13, 14 that appears in a, in a, in a negative light. And there's only nine references in the whole New Testament, but the rest of them huh. are actually positive. Right. Now, oh, interesting. It's, it's used mainly in the book of Acts. And, and there are several stories where the leader of the synagogue is actually becomes an ally to mm. Paul and, and his fellow missionaries. And so uh, it's interesting that, that um, uh, you know, we would probably tend to associate such persons with the Pharisees, but apparently Jairus shows us that that was not always the mm. case. Mm. This is interesting, too. This is one of the big emphases of the, of the Reformers. And so I'm really curious if that is a tradition when this tradition started to understand Jairus this way, if this is this, this kind of started with the reformers. All right, moving on. So what, hap- what, what happens in our scene? So Mark stresses twice, not once, but twice, that there was a large yeah. crowd with him, so large that there were literally, people were literally pressing in on him. And this sets up then the intervening episode in the Mark and Sandwich of the woman with hemorrhages, or literally a flowing of blood, and Mark mentions that she had suffered from this ailment for 12 years and noted, notes that she had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, mm-hmm. but grew worse. That's Mark 5, 26. Mm-hmm. 
And Mark tells us that she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him and touched his garment, thinking that if I but touch his clothes, again, I'm translating, I will be saved, because the verb is sozo, Mm -hmm. and although the new RSV translates, I I will be made well, um, um, I I I don't think that does justice to the verb sozo. We're we're getting close to to addressing that directly. Oh, very good, very good. Well, and I'm just going to put in there, every woman who reads this passage knows and understands this is a menstrual flow issue. Of course, yeah, of course. And, and, uh, you know, part of the question is, what would have been the implications for that? Exactly, Um, exactly, which we could talk about later, but... You know, this is more polite language then, but it's in here and and actually, women, this is this in the Greek. It's the it's 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 the common language for the for a gynecological oh, okay. uh, problem. Like and good that. to know. Yeah, good yeah, to know. I did not yeah. know that in the Greek, yeah. but uh, at least in the English, yeah. um, some people I think go other spaces. Well, I think I think there's been some. You know, the English language, the English Bible tradition oftentimes handles these things. They try to handle them delicately, and in doing so, they just kind of botch it. They kind of botch it. They kind of botch it. And we'll talk more about that later, too. But um, that also puts her in a very interesting situation Mm -hmm. because it is menstrual flow. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, moving on. So, you know, to me, just on the surface of things... You know, this this thought, if I but touch his clothes, I will be saved. This seems like, you know, uh, almost her faith was based on some kind of magical view of who Jesus was and what he could do. But uh, if we if we pay a closer closer attention to Mark, we will, we will find that Mark didn't find this unusual at all. In Mark 3.10, we hear that Jesus had cured many so that all who had diseases pressed upon him to touch him. So apparently this was a thing for Mark, and this was you know no big deal to him. Now, I think we're meant to take this comment, though, if I but touch his clothes, I will be saved, along with the information that she'd spent all she had on physicians as evident mm-hmm. of evidence of her desperate situation. She was at the end of her rope. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think we should also note that this healing differs from the other accounts of Jesus' healings in that she never really expressly declares her faith in Jesus, although I would say that the act itself and the reasoning Mm -hmm. behind it imply such faith. And then we also have this situation where Jesus is apparently unconscious of what was transpiring until he became aware that power had gone forth from him. I didn't take time to verify this, but I believe this is unique in the whole gospel Mm -hmm. tradition. This is the only time when something like this happens. Um. To me, I I see her faith as being demonstrated by the courage it took for her to take the step of venturing into the crowd and reaching out to touch Jesus. Now, it has been generally assumed that she would have been viewed as unclean and outclassed because of her ailment, but recent research shows that that may not have been the case in the mainstream Judaism of that day, though it probably would have continued to be true in some circles, and so perhaps there might have been some sort of lingering stigma there. Well, and of course, we, we don't know. Uh, they don't know everything about her ailments except that she's bleeding. But there's a you know, in, in very good chance that she she could have been in pain. She probably was uh, anemic. She's probably very weak. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were lots of things going on there that yeah. would have, and 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 of course, if you're bleeding all the time, you are not bearing children. Right. And so there's a lot of stigma pieces there as yeah. well that yeah. that lead to that. It's not just the unclean. I think it's right. further than that. I mean, I think this person is is really she's suffering. Suffering. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay, move on. So both the woman herself and Jesus perceived the event. In, in, in Mark's text, it says she literally knew in her body that she was healed. And it says that Jesus literally knew in himself that power had gone forth from him. And of course, again, this raises the question about Jesus' healing power. Does any faith sort of tap his power? Mm-hmm. Is Jesus' healing power something that is beyond his control? Uh, Jesus' question, who touched me, appears to verge on being ridiculous to the disciples since there was a crowd pressing in on him. But Mark says that he looked around to see the one, and it's the feminine definite article, Tain, uh, who touched him. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. the feminine definite article. And so it's unclear if we're meant to understand that Jesus truly had no idea who had drawn on his healing power or perhaps whether Jesus was intentionally seeking to elicit a confession of faith from the woman who had touched him and that he knew that she had touched him. But it's interesting, in Mark's gospel, it says he looked around to see 
obtain mm-hmm. the one who had touched right. him. Right. Yeah. yeah, that is an interesting yeah. uh, an interesting piece. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. So now we come to the part about your faith has saved you or healed you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus commended her act as a demonstration of faith with his customary your faith has healed slash saved you. It's hepistisu sesokense. And this is used uh, not only in Mark's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel. This is something that we're familiar with on the lips of the, right. of the, of the synoptic Jesus. Right. Now, the term sozo, as you guys will probably all remember, is the usual word for salvation. And that's yes. its usual yes. translation in the New Testament. But Jesus regularly used it like this to commend the faith of those he had healed. And in my mind, I think this really points to a dual connotation. Um, you know, it's, it's used in the sense of saving a person from a physical ailment or even for death, but it's also used with regard to eternal life. And, and so I, I think we're meant to see this having a dual connotation. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think the readers of Mark's gospel would have known that Sozo meant more than just physical healing. And and so of course now Mark does say in Mark 5, 29, Mm -hmm that the woman was healed, but he uses a different word there. He mm. uses iaomai. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually the, the normal word that Mark uses for healing is therapuo. And he uses that several times. Mm-hmm. But I find it interesting that, that despite, I think there is kind of a consensus of opinion that, that Jesus phrase here, um, hey, pistis uh, su seso can say, really does have sort of a dual connotation. The New New International Version, the New American Standard Version, the New Revised Standard Version all have your faith has made you well or some Uh variant of that. So I I, I don't understand that in the English, especially in some of the more recent translations, because as I said, there does seem to be a fairly widespread consensus that this phrase really was used to imply that the same faith that affected healing also affected salvation. So provide for us again, how, how might you translate this? Well, <laughs> your faith has, I would probably translate it, your faith has saved you. Yeah, yeah. Because because that implies the healing, but it goes beyond it that. It goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's the way I think the King James Version translates it. I think, it. you know, that, interestingly enough, that's one of those spaces that I can see the beginning translator going and saying, oh, healing or saved, it might choose saved, and then see it used heal so many places that there's mm-hmm. this this backing away of, oh, well, I must not, this must not be the right choice. So actually, this is really helpful for us to realize that even if you use heal, you need to push. You need to push beyond uh, just a, a physical healing. Right. There, there mm-hmm. is there is more going on here than just uh, just the, the the healing of the physical ailment. Mm-hmm. This this also has to do with her her faith and and her her salvation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Keep on going. What comes next? So at this point, then, the narrative tension reaches something of a crisis mm-hmm. because messengers come to report that Jairus' daughter had died, and they say to him, why trouble the teacher any longer? Right. Apparently, they, they assume that there's nothing more that can right. be done. And so Jesus' response, though, is really, again, it emphasizes mm-hmm. the role of faith. faith. He tells mm-hmm. the Father, do not fear, only believe. Mm-hmm. Now, you know... Just thinking about that in real life, you know, on the surface of things, that might seem like a strange response to death. Right. (laughs) Think about it. It really is. It really is. But this may also help shed further light on the role of faith in this particular Mark and Sandwich because, um, you know, the confidence and the faith that the woman has brought forward in, in by by her action illustrates for Jairus and the messengers and the rest of the audience, really the kind of faith or trust that is appropriate toward Jesus. Mm-hmm. So e- even in this situation, you know, where the, the, his daughter has already died, mm-hmm. you know, she then becomes an exemplar of faith for Jairus mm-hmm. and for the others. And so, um, yeah, I, I think at mm-hmm. least... At least part of the point of this is, is that, you know, Jesus' healing miracles were not only acts of compassion in response to human need, but they were also demonstrations of a new life yeah. of God's kingdom. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. from this perspective, um, Jesus was asking Jairus, a father, to have the same kind of faith that the woman had right. in, yeah. in venturing to touch him. And and so basically asking him to believe that he was, you know, that it was... Um, 
in him that God had work, begun working to make all things new and that Jesus was the agent of making mm-hmm. this new life a reality and therefore to believe that somehow all of that, you know, the presence of the kingdom of God and Jesus as the son of man who has the authority to bring the presence of the kingdom would make a difference even for him. You know, yes. And I love, there's a sense here of God's time. And, mm-hmm. and I, I have read this many, many times. It's kind of a true confession moment. <laughs> many times thinking of myself, the parent of this, this child, mm-hmm. thinking, why were you messing around with her? You didn't take time with me. And, yeah, and, right. and I don't know if any other, anyone else has ever responded no, to this, I have, to this that, that way I've too. That it's thought, like, yeah. I came to you and you were messing around, you know, and, and I love this because it, it kind of, it kind of settles you down. Mm-hmm. It kind of, it kind of, it kind of gives you this sense of there is enough God for everybody yeah, kind of right? sense, in the sense right? that God is at God's time. And, and so there is no scarcity when it comes to the, to yeah, the resources of God's yeah, kingdom. Yeah. yeah. And I, as I said, and I keep thinking I'm going to outgrow this reading of it, but I haven't. So mm-hmm. I've just I decided to just fess up to that's often how I could do it. I think but. most parents probably would have <laughs> would read it the same way, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah I, this is really um, this is really awesome. Yeah. All right. So now the way in which Mark narrates this episode is a you know we we see some things that seem to be designed to highlight the significance of this particular miracle in Jesus ministry. He takes the time to recount seemingly tangential details and that heightens the tension. So he names, he takes the time to name the three of the inner circle who accompanied Jesus. He takes the time to describe the dialogue with the mourners, throwing them out. He takes the mm-hmm. time to say that he he take he he brought the father and mother in only, that he took the girl's hand. You know, the translation into Greek of Jesus' command, Talitha Kum. All of these details then precede the climactic statement that Jesus raised mm-hmm. the girl from the dead. And, you know, the effect of all this, I think, is to play up this miracle as the most striking, perhaps most significant one of Mark's gospel so far. You know, you know, there are some stories that you almost get frustrated with the author because it's like, when are you going to get to the, you know, you, you've built up this narrative tension. When are you going to get to the climax? When mm-hmm. do you get to the conclusion of this? You know, tell us the end of the story. And and Mark seems to be deliberately delaying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does slow down there, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I've noticed that, but I haven't articulated that before until you just did that. Yes, interesting. And it probably isn't the time, but I can't help but think of that this event that is drawn out and, and made gets our attention to it is a girl mm-hmm. you know yes, someone who's indeed. very insignificant frankly yes. in yes. in ancient cultures and so this is a really you know women and female readers use this as this sense of value sure um, and especially coupled with the other woman who was bleeding so mm-hmm. it's a very um yes, it's a very interesting piece because neither one of these should really well i think it's i think it's significant that in mark's gospel you know, these two stories are paired together. Mm-hmm. You've got the healing of a woman. You've got the raising of a girl mm-hmm. from the dead. Now, in in Jesus, in the other Gospels, Jesus raises Lazarus. Right. Jesus raises the only son of a widow, you know. But, uh, you know, this is kind of the only place where you, you see Jesus uh, interacting with women, as you said earlier. And, you know, yeah, as a child... Her life would have been fairly insignificant Absolutely. in that time anyway. Mm-hmm. But then as a girl, that would have been even yep. more so yep. the case than a boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it, it really becomes, at least traditionally, not uh, not something really necessarily worth mentioning. And mm-hmm. here it is mentioned mm-hmm. and yep. pulled out. And, Front and, center. Yeah. and as you pointed out, slowed down to where this mm. is really a very, very important episode yes, for indeed. us to uh, pay attention to. Yes, indeed. Now, there's another factor here that that, that also um, that we need to note, and it's important, I think, that we, we need to see that in this particular Mark and Sandwich, the action of the narrative begins with a great crowd. Mark yeah. tells us twice, a great crowd pressing in on Jesus and ends in a very private setting in which only Jesus his inner circle of mm-hmm. three disciples and the little girl's parents are present. And so as, as Collins and Atridge point out in their commentary on Mark, the narrowing of the audience has the effect of highlighting this particular miracle Interesting. In, in terms of the raising of this little girl. You know, the, the reformers actually, I, didn't, oh, I noticed this too, but their response was that 
they kicked out the crowd because the crowd didn't believe, <laughs> which I thought was an interesting thing to say. You right. know, I, I don't that know. That might be something we would assume, but I think, I think, you know, I think we're meant to see the contrast from surrounded by such a great crowd that they were pressing in on him every side to this very private mm-hmm. setting of, of probably the little girl's bedroom. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, very interesting uh, observation unless... Um, let's go. Let's go on. Okay. So it's interesting to, I've always been fascinated by the fact that, uh, Mark quotes the precise Aramaic phrase, which yeah, Jesus me used, Talitha Kum, and it represents the concern, uh, for Mark and the gospel tradition to preserve Jesus actual words. Mm-hmm. And there's several other places where this happens in mm-hmm. Mark seven thirty four, we have Ephatha for the man who was born, uh, with uh, unable to speak and in mark fourteen thirty six he prays using abba mm-hmm. in mark fifteen thirty four we have eloi eloi mm-hmm. la sabachthani um and um you know some have tried to argue this as an evidence for the fact that Mark was the first gospel along with Q and, and for the two source theory. I don't think that, I think that's too simple, but I think it does show uh, a concern to preserve Jesus' actual words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in general, we can assume that Jesus taught for the most part in Aramaic, and that means that his words in our gospels are translations. Mm-hmm, of what true. he originally Absolutely, said. And yeah. so this introduces a, a distinction that is found in New Testament scholarship between the ipsissima verba Jesu and the ipsissima vox Jesu, the actual words mm-hmm, of Jesus mm-hmm. and the actual voice of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here perhaps we have the exact words that Jesus said, mm-hmm. talita cum. Um, but for the most part, um, with some few exceptions, maybe, um, for the most part, in the Gospels, we have to do with the obsessive Yeah, walks. yeah. Now, now, I will say that there are some situations where it does seem that perhaps even in the Greek, we may have the actual right. words of Jesus. Sure, I think that's possible. I, it su- suggests to me that at least in, in the oral tradition, though, these exact Aramaic mm-hmm. words were passed along for emphases, um, perhaps. Is the story well, that's being told? I don't know. I mean... Maybe not, maybe not, but well, it and, seems like it could have been. Yeah, as I've said before, you know, it, if you if you if you do much time with comparing parallels in the in the Synoptic Gospels, you find that when there is a significant pronouncement by Jesus, oftentimes the words are themselves word for word verbatim mm-hmm. in all three Gospels, while the narrative framework shows a great deal of variety. Mm -hmm. And so I would agree with that. I think there was uh, definitely a concern to preserve the words of Jesus as as much as possible as right. they were transmitted in the in the tradition whether orally or perhaps in written form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out though because while I've read that and been curious about it many many times, I hadn't spent a lot of time processing it. So I think a lot of us might might now go back and process that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why is that preserved? And so yeah. that might be really helpful. Yeah. So the end result of all of this is that they were overcome with amazement, as the NRSV translated. Literally, they were amazed with great amazement. <laughs> so we have another of the relatively few examples yes. of the cognate accusative in Mark. Uh, the verb is existe me, and the and the mm-hmm. noun is extasi, and then they're mm-hmm. they're basically right. cognates. Yeah, I uh, love that when they they, do that. they were amazed with a great amazement, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this response I think uh, combined with the fact that the crowd didn't expect that Jesus could do anything about the little girl's death. Again, the combination of this highlights that this is something that was unexpected maybe even by the disciples and also that it was one of the most significant of jesus healing miracles you know up to this point in mark's gospel jesus has demonstrated his authority or power uh, as well as the power of the kingdom of god over evil Mm -hmm. over illness over nature and now he demonstrates that power even over death. Yeah. And so I think this is, this is something that we're meant to, to really uh, fo- focus on, that Jesus' authority right. even excludes Please. to, uh, to uh, death. Uh, yes, I agree. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think that you've done a, a wonderful job of just reminding us how significant this particular story is and pointing that out. This, this is, if I remember correctly, this is the only re- story where Jesus uh, brings someone to life 
from the dead in Mark's gospel, if I remember correctly. I don't think, I think the, um, the story of raising the widow's son is only in Luke's gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, this is significant. This is, and, yeah. and, and, and so, it, you know, in that it is the only such healing uh, miracle in Mark's gospel is significant in and of itself. But in that it's in this context of a little girl and the faith of a woman as, as the example mm-hmm. for the others to follow, I think it's very I, a very interesting twist on it, Mark's gospel. It, it definitely yeah. is. It definitely I, you know, in the Roman world, women played a much more prominent role than they did in Greek or y- Jewish yes, society. Yes, that's very true. Mm-hmm. And this may perhaps point toward a Roman providence for Mark's gospel, but but I think it's important just to note that that Mark, you know, pays attention to these two women basically. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he pays yeah. attention to them, and and Jesus pays attention to them, and, and, and they and they have Jesus a prominent pays, place. Really. Absolutely, absolutely, and so yeah, yeah. I mean, at least at least from women's scholarship, this is a very big deal. Um, well, I think. Just the, again, just the fact that, you know, your faith has saved you, the fact that Jesus is raising someone from the dead, that makes all of this very significant mm-hmm. in the gospel tradition. And so you put together the fact that it's a woman who exactly. has the faith that's commended right. and that he's raising a little girl, that's very significant it, in, a, in a first century document. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good. Well, we will come back and talk about um, what the Reformers were talking about in regards to uh, miracles and a little bit about this passage. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to let Christy take it away with the Reformers. So take it away, Christy. Sure, sure. So when I went to go look at this um, passage from the Reformers, I, you know, I always hope for something brilliant or awesome or <laughs> I don't know, you know, and I thought, oh, they're going to say something about women, you know, and, and, and they're not, they're not modern folks at all. They're not really oh, even noticing that these are women and it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, you know, so I have to confess that, that up until recently, I probably didn't even notice that either. Exactly. They're, they're just people and there's no real big emphasis on that they're women. So, you know, it kind of, kind of this sense of disappointment, but, um, one of the things I did notice that as I started to press through this was this emphasis on the role of faith mm-hmm. and that it's the fa- saving faith. So it's not so much on the act of the miracle, mm-hmm. but rather on the faith, which is a modern reading. Well, I mean, I think that 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 is consistent with what we saw, you know, that that is the purpose, I think, of the story of the healing of the woman is to point is to point her as an point to her as an exemplar of faith. Exactly. And saving faith. Exactly. Yeah. But what you do see is this is a shift from just the miracle in terms of the time frame. So what I want to do is take us a little bit back and putting us into the context of an era where, um, if, if you're familiar with Carlos, Carlos Iyer, he's a, a wonderful a historian of the Reformation and um, has done a lot of things with... Um, um, war against the idols, um, um, a lot of stuff with this kind of transition between this kind of age of of of, of mystical age, if you will, and kind of an age of reason. And we talk about mm. modern the modern world as an age of reason, yes. and of course we're still in that today. But yet sometimes we talk about ourselves today being postmodern, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden today we're starting to really ask ourselves more of these spiritual type questions. And you know that's even impacted our own tradition in the Presbyterian Church, where we're starting to adopt some signs and symbols back into our practices as having value for our spiritual selves. But what we see in the 15th, 16th century is that shift from that medieval period, we've talked about it before, to our early modern, modern period. And at the same time that Luther and Calvin are there, we are getting the beginnings of the scientific revolution. Mm. And people forget those are coinciding together. Yeah, yeah. And so science is starting to come near. This idea that we can unlock nature and all that it holds, and there's it can be understood rationally. That's starting to compete against a world where if you don't understand it, it must be some kind of mystical weed, something that God does or something that Satan does, mm-hmm. the evil does. Mm-hmm. And so it's a slow 
shift back and forth through there. And it's, it's a bit tumultuous at time, right? So for those of you familiar with, you know, we've talked about witchcraft before, you know, that it, this is kind of a explanation of where evil comes from. Well, uh, we're not quite to the full scientific age. So we've got that battle going on of these people are possessed by this evil spirit. Mm-hmm. And I dare say some of that language is returned. You know that. Yeah. Um, but this is a pretty, this is one of the pieces that you really see kind of going on when you're looking at this emphasis on faith, not on the magical works of, 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 of miracles. And it does beg the question, so what actually do the reformers think about miracles? Mm. And it seems to be there's an understanding that miracles were of the age of Jesus. So they don't question the validity of these miracles like you might get in a mo- in, in truly the sure. modern scientific sense. You know, we get that 19th century, we're going to question all well, the miracles. Well, even before then, David Hume in the 18th yeah. oh, century. there you go, 18th century, exactly. human understanding. And you I was know, thinking. He, he asserted the principle of yes. cause and effect as being, you know, something that was just a part of nature and something that was a natural law. And anything that violated that principle of cause and effect Exactly. Could not, could not have actually exactly. happened. Exactly. Well, so you had several things going but, on. But you had the you had the the empiricism. You had you had the rationalism. Right, you had right. you know Bultmann was coming at it from gospel studies. There seemed right. to be a lot of people. There's a lot of people, it, yeah. but this is a, is again this is a shift to the kind of questioning that you see in yeah. the modern era versus yeah. the kind of things that were going on before, and so um, and, and particularly in the medieval world, and particularly yeah. a time when um, within the human being is the ability to reach the divine to, to the unknown. So you know you see in the Roman Catholic tradition, for example, um, this this idea if we just practice you know beating up the flesh and, and pushing mm-hmm. that down mm-hmm. and ex- illuminating our spirits, um, you know, through, through, uh, wh- whatever types of, of mystical, of mystical experience, experience yeah. we mm-hmm. have, we can elevate ourselves up into the divine. So there seems to be the shared experience. Whereas that's cut apart with the reformers. You kind of get with the reformers, a, a, a more of a division between total depravity, you human being, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do to be, mm-hmm. you are not divine. Mm-hmm. You have to rely you on the faith. You cannot reach that by your own effort. Yeah, yeah. Yes. In any way, shape, or form, you can't reach it outside of faith mm-hmm. in Christ because you are human. And only as a gift. Yes. And only, only as a gift. By grace. Yeah. And only by grace. So this is a, this is the shift I'm talking about mm-hmm. that, that, and, and, and it, it has implications, as I said, as we move through, forward and as people are trying trying to make sense of um into the more modern world of of well what what do we know what don't we know and Mm -hmm. how do we know it Mm -hmm. um these types of questions and this is still the questioning we go on we're just kind of willing to accept that we don't know everything. Well, we may right. never know everything. We're, we're in a postmodern right? phase where exactly. we're able to accept some ambiguity and uncertainty. Exactly. Which exactly. Was not was not acceptable maybe fifty years ago. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we can't know everything. And mm-hmm. um, you know, my brother is an entomologist and he studies uh, mosquitoes. And you know, we're still finding new mosquito species all the time. Right. You know, we right. don't even know the things we think we know. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. My, my my oldest son is finishing up a PhD in physics at Johns Hopkins and so you know I mean you know he's 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 you know neck deep in all that stuff yeah absolutely absolutely and of course the physicist actually knew this back in the 1930s it just took a while for culture as a whole to catch up with them yes yes that's generally the how it works right, right? The, 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 right. the thinkers aren't I, I the thinkers are are ahead of where we actually get as as a culture but so anyway um this is kind of one of the one of the big pieces that goes on as you move into this is this whole idea of you know what are the miracles so we we hit we hit the end of the apostolic age and they said that's really when miracles stop Mm -hmm. that's when we're done the church is established um uh jesus has come the, the 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 church has been born through pentecost miracles stop so they don't deny that the miracles happened in um the in in it in the, if you will, the apostolic age, um, and with Jesus, they just say it's done. Mm-hmm. So the idea of looking for miracles now, and a lot of the stuff done in a medieval church, they just don't buy it. Right. They believe it's all charlatanism, and that's that's and that makes sense too because they look at the that 
ancient church, the truly ancient church is being legitimate, but they, as we move into the Middle Ages and you start to see, you know, um, things like the stigmata on um, right. St. Francis, that, that's just all... The appearance, the appearances of Mary and things like that. Yes, and yeah. all that mysticism that comes out is just being is just being magic and, and silly, mm-hmm. really truly silly. And well, actually, in, in I would say in Luther's view, as as work of the devil, but not true, really? but not a true miracle because the, because Satan can't actually perform miracles right. because Satan is created. The right. only true miracles come could come from God, and God has chosen not to do those. Uh. In the post-apostolic age, so it's all, it's all make believe, if you will. It's all evil stuff, and that again takes us to the witches because they're not performing whatever they're performing mm. because of any divine thing because they must be the work of Satan mm. and they wow. aren't real. That's not the real power of God. So, so no, I mean, if they're associated with Satan, it's no wonder that the church, you know, exactly. was so um, intent on eradicating them. Yes, and so better, better to. Um, better to execute them and save their potentially save their souls right, right. um unfortunately and, misusing a passage from from first corinthians mm-hmm. in that regard yeah, yeah yeah so what a what a horrible thing um that 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 emerges on and and that i think they share that that the, that wasn't unique if you will to um the protestants but also part of the roman catholic traditions they were willing to also you know try people as witches later on mm-hmm. as this went through uh, as this came through um so really a, an interesting space. So when we get to this uh, a passage then, there's a couple other things that I did also notice. Um, and I think I mentioned was the whole role of, 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 of Jairus, who as a synagogue leader, they were saying this is really a reach out towards someone who obviously was from the, probably the Pharisees. They didn't actually delineate that, but the Pharisees who was very anti-Christ, but look, he comes to the true God. He mm-hmm. comes to true God in true need. And I thought that was an interesting observation mm-hmm. that they made and um, saying that, look, this is, this is Jesus who doesn't judge. Notice how he comes to them, even if they scorn him and despise him, mm. um, um, that Jesus does not say, no, I'm not going to help you. Yeah. And I thought that that Jesus' reaches to everyone. Now, oddly, they didn't say that about the women. I thought that was bizarre. They didn't make that same observation, but they did there. Well, and I would say, you know, I think they're reading an awful lot into this particular ruler of a synagogue. I know that I know that you know in in the Gospels, Jewish leaders typically play a negative role. Right, but, right. But you know the thing. I think again, again, you know, it's like you said. I mean, and 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 I can agree with them when when they say you know where Jesus found faith, he commended it. And so whether it was Jairus, a ruler of a synagogue, whether it was this woman who believed that she could she could be healed if she touched his garment, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's a Roman centurion, you know, who asks for healing for his servant or his son, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus commends faith where he finds it. Yeah, but but um, I, I don't know that it's I don't know it's fair to Jairus to um, to <laughs> assume that that he was right, he was exactly. one of the enemies of Jesus. Well, I know and I. I feel like it kind of yeah it takes it out of context too mm-hmm. as, as people are just learning who jesus is even i mean we're not even to yeah. the middle of the, right. the gospel reads yeah. it reads an awful lot from from I the so background too. of the scribes and the pharisees yeah. into this person, I, I agree i agree but i did find it interesting that more than one did pull that out and so that was something meaningful to them and i wonder if it reflected to some extent you know there was there's some disagreement over this era how Jews should be mm-hmm. treated, right? Mm-hmm. There was this sense of, wow, they they killed Christ, and this really picks up again more. I mean, more in the 16th century than it does through the Reformation. Is at the beginning. At the beginning, there's kind of this open sense of, no, no, we should, you know, that's that's Israel. That's the church came through mm-hmm. Israel, and then there became. We see this with movements all the time where you see this very kind of open idea everyone is welcome and then we start to be more persecuting and as the church becomes more defined about who it is in the late 16th century they become less accepting more rigid yeah Yeah. and we see that in we see that in middle ages we see it again here in the reformation as well and well and you know the thought comes to mind I'm, i'm not a particular fan of mel gibson but one thing i liked about the passion of the christ is that 
he portrayed the real enemies of Jesus as being a very few people. And he portrayed the majority of the people in the crowd as Jesus was carrying his cross along the streets of Jerusalem as mourning mm -hmm. over, over what was happening. Mm. And I, I think that probably was more true to history. You know, we have, unfortunately, we have taken the, the perhaps, um, you know, the, the, the Jewish leadership as, um, um, you know, demonstrative of a, an enmity uh -huh, on the part uh -huh. of the Jewish people in general. And, and I think we, we get that furthermore in Acts, when, you know, Acts, Paul has some Jewish opponents who are, who are attacking him. He also has some, some Greek opponents who are attacking mm -hmm. him, you know, some mm -hmm. the idolsmiths in, in Ephesus, you know, they're, they're not Jewish. Mm -hmm. But um, um, I think, I think we, we almost generalize too much. And I think this played into the idea of, of Jews in, in, the, in the times in which they have been persecuted as Christ killers. Um, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's fair to the Jewish people of the right. Second Temple oh, period. I, I, yeah, I agree. And I think most people do today. Well, at least in my, my tradition, our tradition. But I, Yeah, I and, and you know, I mean, you see the crowds, the throngs that follow him. And, it, you know, in Acts, it's, you know, within days of, within days of Pentecost, you know, there are 3,000 believers in Jerusalem and, mm -hmm. and then 5,000 believers in Jerusalem. And so, you know, it's, it's important to note that I think, you know, yes, there was some, there was some, some distinct opposition to Jesus mm -hmm. on the part of the, you know, the folks who were truly in leadership. Right. But not even every Pharisee was against right, Jesus, right, right? right? And and so and so. Right. Well, um, and of I course, I don't think we should assume that every synagogue leader would have been either. I I agree. I'm thinking. Sorry, I'm headed back to the streets again. Of course. There's probably a lot of people that were just afraid, so you didn't really necessarily know their emotion at all. They mm -hmm. stood there, probably feeling they had to stand there, maybe grieving, but maybe outwardly doing nothing, or at least even pretending to go along with with the crowd because you're terrified. I mean, yeah. well, in the movie itself, yeah. you know, Gibson portrays sort of the odd person um, reacting negatively toward Jesus, oh, but sure. the vast majority of the crowd seems mm -hmm, to be generally mm -hmm. grieved. Mm -hmm. Gen genuinely grieved mm -hmm. by what's going on, and and uh, I think that's probably more true to fact. In when when you think yeah, about the po general population, you know, I just ran into. I was talking. About, I was reading some of the works of Carlos Carlos Iyer, and he was talking about Mel Gibson taking that directly from a medieval um, mystic. Um, mm -hmm. That the images that were coming directly from that description really? uh, that Mel Gibson had that would probably make sense because carefully, you which, know the, the stations of the cross that that mm -hmm. Gibson depicts are come from come from church tradition yeah exactly yeah. as yeah. well so anyway I think um, one of the final pieces that I wanted to point out was just Casper um, Hubenerus I loved it because he he comes up with this look this is life. And reminding us that this story reminds us about how fleeting life is, that one minute we're happy and the one minute we can be sad. And just remind us that this is our life and that we shouldn't be placing our lives on, on physical things, but that our, our hope should be in Christ. And I thought that was a really beautiful um, image for us to think about. And I, it is a, a very good way to think of this passage. Absolutely. Thanks, Christy. Yeah, you're welcome. Hi, everybody. We are back. And in our break, we started to talk a little bit about people today and miracles today and how many people seem to be drifting and looking for faith in, in miraculous healings and things and, and maybe are putting, um, putting all their eggs in one basket, if you will, and maybe it's the wrong basket. So go ahead, Alan. Let's just talk a little about this. Yeah, well, you know... I I had several thoughts about this. You know, first of all, I didn't realize that the reformers were the one who came up with the idea that miracles ceased with the apostolic age. I know that's been, that's a, that's a, a, a an idea that's been um, popular in conservative uh, evangelical circles, you know, for, as, as long as I have been aware of it um, and, and probably going back, you know, a hundred years or so. 
Um, so that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and but I understand why they came to that notion because of the prevalence of you know in their time and even still of sort of a faith that is, that that looks to these um, uh, extraordinary supernatural events uh, as a basis for faith. And you know, it's interesting. Um, in my study of the New Testament, I read uh, David Friedrich Strauss's, um, it's basically the life of Jesus critically examined, but in the German, it's the life of Jesus critically revised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and he points out, you know, Jesus consistently says he's not going to, he's not going to do work signs. In, in in the Synoptic Gospels. And so he said basically, you know, um, should we take should we take it on face value that the miracles are, are true or should we take it on face value that Jesus' disavowal of signs are, is true, you know? Mm-hmm. And he made it a very distinct either or. This was in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, I can understand, you know, that sort of anti-supernatural bias based on you know the the almost um, superstitious character of of what some people seem to call faith, mm-hmm. and and you know at the same time, I would want to insist that the same Jesus who who cast out evil, who healed illness, who calmed nature, who even overcame death, is the one who is reigning at the right hand of God mm-hmm. and still has that authority. You know, if the kingdom of God is real, then, you know, I don't see any theological obstacle to, to Jesus, God in Christ, through the Spirit, you know, um, um, doing things that are miraculous in our day. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any right, right. any any sort of a priori need to to say that miracles can't happen. I I, I mean obviously we're surrounded by a culture um, you know, in some circles in the church, you know, miracles are dime a dozen. Yeah, and in yeah. other circles of the church, you know, it's like, uh, oh, I saw this, I saw this, I saw the face of Jesus on a wall right, right, or, you know, right. the, the statue bled or whatever, you know. Yeah. And, and those kind of things just seem to stretch credulity. And, and it's, it's, you know, I've always said it this way. It's amazing to me the things that people will put their faith in. And they won't put their faith in the gospel exactly. as we find it in the New Testament. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's really, it reminds me of a college student I worked with once. She was a member of our church. She was a member of our youth group. Her grandpa was a Presbyterian minister. Um, but she got disillusioned and finds herself on the street, you know, in a circle of some charlatan trying to sell some kind of faith and she's totally drawn to this stuff Mm. and i thought you your background is solid you know what what but i think there's this desire to to see Mm -hmm. you know it it, it, it's it's kind of proof we want it's 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 proof if god would do this if god i'll believe in you if you do this right and um and that's the kind of faith that jesus you know explicitly disavowed Exactly, exactly, and that testing God kind of mm-hmm. thing, and and yet we still have people that, that just feel, really feel that they they need to test they God. Need a sign, and if you don't get the sign, then other people say, "Well, obviously, God doesn't exist, or God would do that." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, oh my goodness, that leads to such a such a problematic faith. Um, well, and and that brings us back then into the passage where uh, this woman has heard about Jesus. And, and apparently she has enough understanding to grasp, you know, that mm-hmm. um, God is at work in this man. Mm-hmm. And she may not understand all the ins and outs of what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God in the Gospels and how his, his works were demonstrating the presence of the kingdom of God. But I think she had to have had that just basic Right sense that God is working through this man, and so she she acts upon that mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. and she takes a step. You know, she she takes the risk, right, of yeah. venturing out based on her faith that that God is working through this man, 
And of course, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Yeah, yeah. And and that include making her whole, but it also means it also means making her whole spiritually mm-hmm. as well. It, yes, yes. And yes. Um, um, you know, so so that's the kind of faith that we're we're presented with in the gospels. It's a faith that kind of looks before, leaps before you look. Right, right. <laughs> we want to look before we leap, but the, but but there is a sense of as Seren Kierkegaard always talked about faith as as a leap. But um, yes, yeah, exactly. Well, and I think, you know, as I think about miracles today, I, first of all, we have the ability to understand a lot of things that happen. Yes. But that doesn't mean that there's not something going on. I had this great, I had to share this story today. I had this story today from someone, and I'm sharing someone else's story, but I don't think he'll mind. And he lives outside of a drainage ditch. And of course, when it rains a lot, it gets very, very dangerous. But children are just naturally attracted. He said, and my biggest fear was some child is going to, you know, think it's fun, get caught up in there. And it would sweep them all the way down under a very, mm-hmm. very, very busy street and then out into um, out into a, a big creek. And it, anyway, this happened. The, the, the horror happened. And he, he said, I was home. I don't know why I was home. I happen to be home. I'm not the kind of guy that does this. And yet I saw the young man slip and I knew he had trouble. And he goes, I went to my garage and grabbed an electric cord because um, all I found thinking, could I get him? And I drove to where he'd go under and missed him, drove to the next one, somehow pulled this young man out of what wow. was certain to death. Wow. And he goes, everything about this was wrong. Mm-hmm. I was in why was I there? Because I never would have been. I'm not the guy who does this. I happen to, you know, I remember like it was yesterday looking in my garage of what can I grab that this boy could grab onto if I could pull him out of the ditch. And just all the pieces, how they fell. Mm-hmm. Now, you can look at that and say, well, you know, it was just pure luck. And he was just a coincident at the right time. And, yeah. and yet thinking about the story and what... um. I, I can't help but think God's divine hand wasn't in that day. Sure. You know? Well, and you know, we take a lot of things for granted. I mean, to me, the birth of a healthy child is a miracle. Mm-hmm. It is, I mean, having been present at the birth of two of my three children, unfortunately, my middle, my middle son, Michael, was born when I was in Germany. Sorry, mm-hmm. Mike. But, um, um, you know, having been present at the birth of two of my three children, it is the most astounding experience. Mm-hmm. And yet, because because modern medical science has has made it so that, especially in this country, for people who have adequate care, childbirth is a fairly safe process. Right. You know, infant mortality is fairly low. We we just kind of take it for granted. We do. Oh, what a wonderful thing, and not. Oh, you know, this is this is a miracle that God has built into the way in which life works. Mm-hmm, you know that mm-hmm. a child comes comes out, and and you know this this little this little person is going to grow up and be a fully functional mm-hmm. adult. You know, and mm-hmm. we get to watch this before our very eyes. Yeah, it's know? pretty cool. Right? Yeah, right. or or you know, I think about. I mean, I think about people who struggle with mental health issues, and um, you know the fact that. You know, uh, 50 years ago, there were two treatments, uh, electroshock and lithium. Mm-hmm. And one of them uh, was just almost torture, and the other one made you a zombie. Right. And, and now, you know, we have a wide variety of medications that can help people live a normal life. Exactly. Again, we say, well, that's because of, you know, this happened and right. that exactly. happened. But, but nevertheless, you know, right. I think we can... I think we can find an appropriate sense of wonder at the mystery of God's hand in our world. I agree. Without um, turning to sort of a a fairly shallow, superstitious, um, just traipsing after every claim of something, um, you know, extraordinary that happens, you know, that supposedly points to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much that points us to God. There's so much that points us to Christ in the world anyway, in our lives anyway. And in in the church, the fact that we have, uh, 
We have the opportunity to live our lives in the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters who share the, this journey with mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. What a gift that is. Exactly. You know? yeah, and that, yeah, and that yeah. here we are 2,000 years later and the church is still thriving, you know, against all odds, you know. Right. I know. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, I, th- I think we can see God's hand at work. Um, I agree. I think we can see the power of God's kingdom without having to turn it into some sort of parlor trick or turning, yeah, you know, exactly. uh, you know, um, um, uh, succumbing to a con, a con man or a snake oil dealer, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and there have been plenty of those. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people, unfortunately, despite all these things we've talked about, still look for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I dare say what I think part of that is, I mean, part of that's just, human desire to see this, you know, well, it's if, human if nature to want to see it. it. Yeah. Yeah. If I can't explain it, but you know, I, I think it also is that so many people have, have, have moved away from the church or they see the opposite, you know, this, the belief in magic or the, you know, it's just the proliferation of, of evil and evil spirits and what evil can do. And, and, and the whole mythology behind that. Mm-hmm. And I, the movie girl, when I was growing up was poltergeist. Mm-hmm. I love poltergeist. I don't like any of those movies, but I like that one. The paranormal. Yeah. The paranormal. There's such a fascination with the paranormal. There is, yes. there is. And, and, uh, you know, of course, what growing up, you'd love to tell ghost stories. And so you get this whole idea of this kind of this kind of uh, dark magic. And so therefore, mm. you expect there to be this kind of you know, white magic as well. And, and it, yeah. it really cheapens it really cheapens um, who Jesus is and the faith itself, because yeah. faith doesn't work that way. Yeah, I don't I don't put Jesus in the same category at all. I absolutely that. don't. Yeah. But I think yeah. folks do. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I blame yeah. that on, you know, wanting 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 easy, easy answers to mm-hmm. hard problems. Well, and you know, that brings us back to what we had to say about demonology, because that's really where that came yeah, from absolutely. was, yeah. was wanting an easy answer to the, where, where does evil come from? It's, Which is uh-huh. a question that is difficult and nobody really can answer it satisfactorily. And, and here, here we have the question of, you know, what is God doing in this world? And, mm-hmm. and where can we see God at work in this world? Exactly. Well, I tend to want to look at it more from the standpoint of, you know, here's a woman who's who's hurting. She lost her son to COVID. She reaches out to her pastor. They have a conversation, and she leaves feeling a bit of the burden lifted, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I look at that more than, than the paranormal, you know? Right. I, I see that as the power of the gospel and the power of Christ. I agree. So. I, I, I agree 100% with that. Yeah. Well, and interestingly, I go back to a different Catholic um, mystic, Ignatius of Loyola, and I think about the examine, mm-hmm. and part of the examine is where did you see God at work today? Exactly. And I, I want to see God at work in our lives in, like I said, more the ordinary encounters that we have, the chance conversations that we have that we might not even know whether it made a difference or not, yeah, you know, exactly. and, and, you know, I want to say, you know, yeah, God is at work in our lives every day. Mm-hmm. We may not always see it, right? but I trust, you know, I want to trust in that. Well, and I love that. I love that part of the examine because it does make you open your eyes and, and look, mm-hmm. and look for awareness and things. And, and, uh, um, sometimes we get too busy, you know, to, to, to listen and watch. Well, and, and, or distracted or by, distracted. by <laughs> that, which, that, which, that, which tr- sort of tries to claim to be supernatural and extraordinary, you know, the paranormal. Right. right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, I mean, I'm just, I'm baffled. Like I said before, I'm always amazed at what people will believe in, but they won't believe in Jesus. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. Well, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's that patience in that wall. I, I remember this, I, this is an interesting story, um, um, with a person I knew and, um, um, his daughter died by suicide and he was a believer and, uh, um, his, he had family members that weren't and the family came over and as the casserole dishes came over one by one by one by one, instead of people pu- pulling away, which is what you hear a lot, the people that were coming from the church to help. 
and what an amazing support that was of mm-hmm. comfort um, and this sense of because this is what how we take care of each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Well, and that's that is the love of God at work in our world, right? Mm-hmm. That's where God is at work. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, thanks, Christy. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.